Thanks for joining us for today's edition of Lessons for Living. His word so fresh in our hearts abound. His word made flesh in the here and now. A new life is beginning. Lord, let us hear your lessons for living. Lord, let us hear your lessons for living. You see, the Bible says in Psalm 37, the steps of a good man, they're ordered by the Lord. And he delights in his way. Pastor Mark, are you, are you kidding me? God directed the steps of these two spies to the house of a prostitute, and they stayed there the whole night? What's up with that? Well, number one, we know this. God's ways are not our ways. If God directed them there, why did he do it? Number two, we know this. We know that God loves lost people. Do you believe that God is at work in your life so much that he's directing your steps, bringing various people and opportunities into your path? Today, Pastor Mark will encourage listeners that God is always active in our lives and challenge us to submit to his word and his will. Often, we spend too much of our time on earth acting as if we're in control. While the Lord does grant people free will, he's ultimately in charge. Many tend to give themselves credit for the good and blame God for the bad. Do you have a healthy appreciation for all that God has accomplished and is doing in your life? Remember, there's quite a few ways to receive a copy of Pastor Mark's teaching. We'll be sharing all that information with you at the close of this broadcast. Now, here's Pastor Mark in the book of Ephesians as he begins part 12 in his series entitled Unlimited Opportunities. One day, Jesus, he said 11 words that changed the world. Come, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. What was Jesus saying? It was all about people. Jesus was saying this, come follow me, have that personal interaction, and I will change you to be like me. Why are you here? If I'm still breathing this morning, why am I here? Here it is. Here's the principle so you can understand it. Changed lives is the goal of Jesus. It isn't about all the other things. Today is the day we enjoy it. We have lots of things we love in life. But it's changed lives, different lives, transformed lives, converted lives. That is the goal. So God wants to change us. Now, you're going to like this one. Would you turn to your neighbor and say, God wants, and put your finger right there and say, God wants to change you. Just go ahead and do it right now. God wants to change you. Some of you wives been wanting to do that forever to your husband. Now, notice the key in that statement, God wants to change you. Linda and I have been married almost 45 years, and she's still trying to change me. I've changed her totally. Yeah, right. What kind of change are we talking about? You know, we're the hands, we're the feet, we're the mouth of Jesus. But none of that works unless it comes from the heart of Jesus. So we're here to use our hearts 
to change the hearts and the lives of people. No, it's not the beating heart. The heart is the, the control center where the decisions of life are made. So the teaching today is about three things. God and people, how we use our time, and then realistically it focuses on the heart, the heart, and then that key word that you just said to your neighbor, change, change. If you will, turn to Joshua, where you're at, chapter 1, verse 10. Let me give you a little review quickly. Children of Israel, 40 years before this, were on the verge of going into the promised land, but they didn't have faith. They refused to go. Because of that, God sent them in the wilderness, a circular pattern for 40 years. He provided for them, but that older generation, that faithless generation would die off and would leave the new generation, those 20 and under at that point, to now be in the same place as they get ready to head into the promised land. 40 years later, they're on the verge of going in. There's going to have to be some changes if they're going to get in this time. And so everywhere we see in the Bible, we're going to see that word change. And you're going to see two huge changes just in this chapter one as we head over to chapter two. Look at chapter 1, verse 10. So Joshua ordered the officers of the people, go through the camp, tell the people, get your supplies ready. Three days from now, you will cross into the Jordan, here to go in, take possession of the land the Lord your God is giving you for your own. In those two verses, we see the huge change. Moses is no longer the leader. Moses has died. Joshua had been following Moses for 40 years, second in command, no problem, loved it. Now he's moved up. So a huge change for Israel is they have a new leader, Joshua. Well, how will the people respond to this? Look down at verse 16. Then they answered Joshua, around 2 million Jews, whatever you have commanded us, we will do. And wherever you send us, we will go. Now, is that a change? That's a huge change. You remember the first group of people that followed Moses? We don't like what you're doing. We don't like where you've taken us. We don't like the food you're giving us. We don't like this. We're not going in there. This is a change. These guys say, okay, Joshua, we've learned. We watched our mom and dad die. We've learned. We're going to obey you. That's a great change. Now, what will that look like? Now, look down to chapter 2. That's where we're going to be studying today. Now, when we get to chapter 2, you just saw Joshua tell the people, get ready, get supplies, because we're going to go into the promised land. Remember, in a spiritual sense, the promised land is the spirit-filled life. It's where all Christians should go. You know, Egypt was a type of the world, and then the wilderness is a type of carnal Christians, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And where you and I want to go, where you know I want to live today, is that promised land. Physically, it's a nation of Israel. But for you and I, it's a spirit-filled life, where our lives are following the pattern that God set for us. So Joshua knows they're going there. Joshua knows the land has already theirs, God promised it. But he's not sure how the battle works. So you're going to see in these first few verses... He's going to send two spies just to go about seven miles over the Jordan River and to go into the first town that they're going to interact with. Now, remember in the promised land, the promised land is filled with generations of enemies, Gentile people who had many gods and they hated the Jews. They'd been punishing the Jews for years. So Joshua knows when he goes in, it's going to be a difficult time. 
it's going to be warfare. And so he sends these two men in. He sends them secretly in to kind of find out what the walls look like, what the city looks like, so he'll know how to plan his battle plan with God. We begin in chapter 2, verse 1. Then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from Shittim. Go look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. So that's their goal. Now watch what happens. So they went, these two spies, and they entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab, and they stayed there. Whoa, what's up with this? Here's two guys that have been in the wilderness 40 years. The first time they get away from their wife in 40 years, they go to the house of a prostitute. This is not looking good for Israel. Relax. You're going to see nothing happened. No, it's not what you think. This isn't Motel 6 where the light is always left on and it's a red light. Why in the world would the spies go there? And why would the Bible open with this statement? Because of this. Consider, you're two Jewish spies and you want to go into a pagan land. How can you go into that land, find out the information, and not be identified as spies? Well, where would you go? You would go to the house like this. Rahab's house would be a place where you could get food, a place where you could get a room, and if you wanted, there'd be some prostitutes there. So they went there, and you you can tell when you go to a place like that, what happens? You're not going to be easily detected, because how many visitors from out of town passing through Jericho would go there? Tons of people. So you're just going to be amidst of lots of other uh, visitors. Second, As they drink and drink and drink, you can have your Coke, not get drunk, and you can hear all kinds of things that's happening, all kinds of news. So it was a very strategic place. Second, we're going to learn later that, well, the house of Rahab was built on the wall of Jericho, and it will be an easy way for them to escape later to go back and tell Joshua the story. So, number one, it's a place where there's going to be lots of visitors, hard to detect who's who. Second, they're going to get lots of information while they're there. And third, it's going to be a place they can easily escape. But the fourth key is this one. Why did they go to that very house? Because God directed them to that very house. A house of a prostitute. You see, the Bible says in Psalm 37, the steps of a good man, they're ordered by the Lord, and he delights in his way. Pastor Mark, are you you kidding me? God directed the steps of these two spies to the house of a prostitute, and they stayed there the whole night? What's up with that? Well, number one, we know this. God's ways are not our ways. If God directed them there, why did he do it? Number two, we know this. We know that God loves lost people, and he wants them to change. So as we go through the story, don't doubt God's guidance. Nothing immoral will happen that night, but in this true story, we will see the heart of God. Now, as you start thinking about biblical characters, sometimes we attach a little few words to the end of their name. Let me give you some examples. Matthew, 
the tax collector, Mark, the evangelist, Luke, the doctor, John, the beloved, Thomas, around Easter time, the doubter, Paul, the bold apostle, Ananias, the encourager, Rahab, the prostitute. In fact, five times in the Old Testament and the New Testament, Rahab can't get rid of that name. It's Rahab the prostitute, Rahab the harlot, the hooker, the call girl. Now, some of you are new to church, and you're going, I like this church. (laughs) It's pretty good. Where do I sign up to become a member? Just hold on. God knew something about Rahab that nobody else knew. See, only God knows our hearts. God sent two spies to the house of Rahab the prostitute because he knew she had been and was at the moment searching for the emptiness in her life. She was searching and open to the true living God, even then she didn't even know who or what that was. God was going to change Rahab's entire life forever because two spies visited her house of prostitution. That shouldn't surprise us. That isn't the first time that happens. It happens all through the Bible, and it should happen to us. Now, keep your finger right there. We'll be back. Turn to the book of Matthew, New Testament, first book in the Bible, Matthew chapter 9. And we're going to see an interaction of Jesus, which is exactly the same thing, except the characters change a little, but the principle is absolutely no different. In Matthew chapter 9, if you will, go down to verse 9. Jesus loved to go through towns and touch people. He was into changed lives. And you're going to see an interaction here between Matthew, a tax collector. Now, a tax collector, he wasn't immoral in the, in, well, in the sexual sense, but he was immoral in, in handling people's money. A, a tax collector was a cheater. The Jews hated him. He took advantage of people. He was a liar. He was a cheater. He was well-known. He was well-rich. And people, by and large, hated him. So look what happens in verse 9. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Now, how did Jesus get to Matthew? We know that Jesus said, I never went anywhere that God didn't direct me. So the same God that directed the two spies to the house of Rahab is the same God who's directing Jesus to Matthew. He saw him in that booth, and notice what Jesus says to him. Follow me. And Matthew immediately got up, left everything he'd ever accomplished, and followed him. Now why? Because Matthew, no matter what he had, he was empty. He had no purpose. See, if you're here today, and you have all the stuff the world wants, you already know what younger people are looking to do. You know that it doesn't satisfy. It's empty. There's no purpose. There's a, you, can, you can achieve everything you want. And that's kind of the way our world used to be, you know. Get to 60, see if I can retire at 57, so I can just sit back and, and kick back. You'll discover there's no meaning to life. Life is never about you and me. It's about God using us. So Matthew has it all. He just walks away and leaves it. Notice what happens next. Where does Jesus go? Well, Matthew invites him to his home. 
Now, who would be in his home? People like Matthew. People who cheated. Sinners. Look at verse 10. When Jesus was having dinner in Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners, they came and ate with him and his disciples. Verse 11. And here's the religious people. Jesus didn't like the religious people. And when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciple, hey, what's up with your teacher eating with those stupid tax collectors and sinners? We hate them people. What's up with your guy? On hearing this, Jesus said something profound. It's not the healthy, he's talking spiritually, who need a doctor, but the sick. So, Pastor Mark, are you saying he was saying the religious people were healthy? No, that's tongue-in-cheek. He's saying, you guys that think you're healthy spiritually, religion, you go to church every week, you you tithe, you give money, you you sign a membership, you're going to work in this new clinic, but you don't know God? You think you're healthy spiritually? Far from it. But look at verse 13. But go, who's he speaking to? (laughs) The religious. Go and learn what this means. Get a life is what he's saying. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous. By the way, there are none. You're not one. But sinners. So we see Jesus interacting with sinners. Religious sinners. Common everyday sinners. And a party with lots of sinners. Now I'm going to give you a little quiz today at all of our campuses here in Melbourne and Vieira and Sebastian and and East Orlando. And I want to see how I want to see how good you do. So get ready to answer me now. What do what what do sinners do? Sin. Very good. <laughs> you guys are brilliant. You mean you mean sinners actually sin? Yeah. Yeah, they do. Well, here's the thing. Pretty good with that. Some of you still didn't get it. Uh, yeah, sinner sin. That's why they're called Very good. Man, I can go home now. I taught my lesson. I'm done. Well, let me ask you this next question. As you think about sinners that sin, as you think about sinners that sin, where do sinners live? Everywhere. Why? Because our world is filled with this year 7 billion people. And sinners sin, and every person who's a sinner needs a heart change. That's what Jesus came for. That's why we're here. Every single person that needs Jesus is a sinner. You know the statement. You don't need to write it. If I'm a follower of Jesus, notice Jesus came to the earth to change sinners into Christ followers. Now, why? Why? Why the change is necessary? Because one day, physically, we'll die. You will die. The outcome of that is two destinations. One, heaven with God forever. Two, separated from God forever, a place called hell. There's no other destinations. There's no second chances. There's no coming back, as uh, the Eastern religions say, I keep on getting it right, you'll never get it right. It's appointed unto man once to die, and after death, the judgment. So see, this isn't a joking matter. Jesus wasn't, he, he was so mad at the religious people. He said, you're all fooled. You think you're healthy. You're not healthy at all. This guy, Matthew, is now getting right spiritually because he's following me. You know that I don't use the term Christian too often. Why? You ask everybody, pretty much everybody in our churches, in our cities, what kind of a country is America? Christian country. Are you Christian? Yeah, I'm a Christian. What does that mean? I have no idea, but I'm a Christian. (laughs) We're not Christian. By the way, this is no longer a Christian nation. Don't kid yourself. So I use the term Christ follower. 
Are you right now following Jesus Christ? Not 42 years ago did you get saved, but are you right now following Jesus Christ? So as you look at this, we seem to understand that God doesn't want anybody to perish. It's his will that no person ever created is separated from him. He loves the world. That's why he sent Jesus. Two weeks from now, Easter. Why? God so loved the world that he gave his only son. So you won't have to perish. I won't have to perish. Well, what role do I have in it? I want you to write this because that's the key. If I'm a Christ follower, I have to be an agent of change. And that means because sinners live everywhere, that gives me a million opportunities to use the good news If you're here today, if you're still on this earth today, the reason you're here ultimately is to be an agent of change. And God wants to do that in us because it's just unlimited. All kinds of things will happen in our lives. Now go back to Joshua chapter 2 and we'll see a huge, huge principle. Joshua chapter 2, verse 2. So the spies are there in the house with Rahab. Now the king of Jericho, this pagan enemy nation, was told, look, Some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So what happened? In spite of all their good intentions, in spite of all their plans, they're found out. And the the ruler of Jericho says, go get those boys. We're going to take care of them. They're spies. Now, what does that verse remind me of? Everywhere we go in life, there's spiritual warfare. Satan will always come against the things that we're trying to do for the kingdom of God. The king of Jericho is an agent of Satan. He's going to try to stop the whole thing. By the way, he can't stop it because God always wins. But you have to understand, life is not a playground. As I'm speaking now, there's demons in this building. Don't get weird. There's just demons here. There's angels here. There's spiritual warfare, unseen warfare. But understand today, Satan has come to steal, kill, and destroy. And we'll find that wherever we go. When this clinic starts, you don't think there'll be any spiritual warfare? What did our doctor tell us the very first thing you have to do? Pray. Because the enemy wants to stop what God wants to do. But he can't stop it. You can relax. Now look at verse 3. So the king of Jericho sent this message to Rahab. Bring out the men who came to you and entered your house, because they have come to spy the whole land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. She said, yes, here's the beginning of her lie. I'll get to that later. Yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they had come from. At dusk, when it was time to close the city gate, the men left. I don't know which way they went. Go after them quickly. You may catch up with them. But she had taken them up on the roof and hidden them under the stalks of flax she had laid out on the roof. Jesus came to earth to change sinners into Christ followers. His priorities were to please his Father, love people, and make the most of his time. Today we learn from Pastor Mark that changed lives were the goal of Jesus and should be the goal of our lives. Sometimes we can be distracted by so many other things in this life that we forget the main thing. Is your life predicated today on sharing the love of Christ with others? Maybe you're listening right now and God has placed a certain person on your heart that needs to hear this message. Or maybe you'd like to share it with all of your friends. 
There's a simple way to share this message. Log on to Lessons for Living Radio and click on the radio program option in the main menu. There, you'll find the Lessons for Living media player. In the Messages tab, simply click on today's date. Then you can share today's message directly on your Facebook page, Twitter feed, or send a link via email. You can even embed today's message directly. Again, to share today's message with friends and family members, log on to LessonsForLivingRadio.com. Click on the radio program button, then simply click on today's date. You'll find all the options to share. Why should we as Christ followers share our testimonies? In the next edition of Lessons for Living, Pastor Mark will give three reasons why we should be motivated to spread the gospel. The enemy loves to use doubt and fear as instruments to limit our effectiveness for Christ. As believers, we can be confident that the message of Christ is not one to be afraid of, nor one to question. It's for everyone, everywhere, anytime. Well, that's all the time we have for today's broadcast. From all of the production team here at Lessons for Living, we want to say thank you for tuning in, and may God bless you. And together, let's do life right. in a hurry.